0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. This morning, as we've already mentioned, we started to look at a little series on the prophet Elijah who, as you remember, was required to march into Ahab's palace and announce that there was going to be a famine in the land for a period of time. And of course, all this was orchestrated by the fact that not only did Ahab, but some of his predecessors had departed from God's ways, and Ahab particularly, having married Jezebel, had allowed her to influence all that was going on in the religious scene of the land of Israel at that particular time. And as a result, they had departed and they were following Baal. But having courageously followed God's instructions to go in and speak to Ahab. Remember, he was then taken by God and directed by God to go to the Sheriff Ravine where he would be brought food day and daily, twice a day, by the ravens, and they would give him protection and provision and preparation and rest for the challenge that he'd been involved in and for the other challenges that would be before him eventually with the passage of time the effects of the famine uh, were such that the brook dried up and I said this morning some of you may have looked at it this afternoon uh, that uh, he was required then to leave that area and he was uh, asked to go and he would meet a, a lady who was a, a widow and that she would provide for him and it was during her his stay with the widow that the widow's son the only son died and God used Elijah to be the one who was his instrument in seeing the son raised from the dead again, and he was miraculously brought back to life again. But we want to, to move on and, and not deal with that particular aspect of his life this evening, but I want us to look together at uh, chapter, the first part of chapter 18, where we're introduced to a man that maybe we don't know an awful lot about, but his name was Obadiah. Three and a half years of drought had come, and it was almost the time for Elijah to be engaged in the greatest battle of all that he was about to have in his life. Uh, It was called the the challenge, I suppose, of Mount Carmel, which was coming in the the future and which we look at at next Sunday morning, God willing. But the, the drought had taken a real toll. On the community, and as far as Elijah was concerned, it was time for Ahab to realise that well, they'd gone through this period of of difficulty, and there was a, the next stage, was the uh, the challenge of Carmel. And let's look and see who Obadiah was. Well, the Bible tells us two things that he was in charge of the palace of the king. In other words, he was a senior advisor and a senior official in the palace. And also, at the same time, we're told he was a devout believer in the Lord. And the first thing I want us to notice this evening as we, we consider these things is I want us to look at Obadiah's strategic position. From a human perspective... It was an unbelievable combination. Think of the atmosphere in the palace. Jezebel was there. She was promoting the prophets of Baal. And Obadiah was there, and he was a believer in the Lord. And we will look at it a little bit more detail in a moment or two, but from God's point of view, what we can say is this. That more often than not God has his representatives his children in strategic positions as you look at the Old Testament you discover that Joseph was in a strategic position at a time of a famine when eventually he was told to make sure that all the crops were kept in the seven years of plenty before the seven years of nothing And he was appointed to be sort of the the prime minister of Egypt at that particular time. Or think of Moses. Moses was in a strategic position for a period of time in the palace of Herod. Or as we saw on one other occasion when we were looking at the youth service one Sunday evening, for 70 years Daniel uh, emerged as one of the most influential people in the court of the the Babylonian emperor. Or King Artaxerxes had his friend Nehemiah, who was a strategic in a strategic position in the court of that Persian king. Or Esther, who had a strategic position and saved her people from unusual difficulties and problems. And all in all these situations that you read about in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament as well, God enabled people to occupy key positions in order that they could be His witnesses and do something in the circumstances that they found themselves and and obadiah was the king's trusted administrator and he went about with an open-ended responsibility and authority and so we have a pagan king and a devout believer and we read that obadiah feared the lord i your servant have feared the lord From my youth. He was somebody who had responded to God. He was someone who recognized who God was and he wanted to serve God, not in his latter days of his life exclusively, but he had started to serve God from his youth. And the advantages of coming to the Lord when we're young surely is that the whole of our lives are before us and we can grow and be molded in the scriptures and we can be used effectively in the service of God. And Obadiah stood in awe of God. He reverenced God. He loved God. And he wanted to serve him as best he could. The, the Bible puts it that he feared God. He, he reverenced him. And, of course, the Bible also tells us that the reverence, or the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. We read that in Proverbs 1, verse 7. And Obadiah was where he was because that's where God wanted him to be. Now, think about this. How was it possible to be in a strategic position serving a king who was promoting the worst kind of paganism that you could imagine and at the same time be a devout believer? How was it possible not to be suspected by maybe other people? Who would have reported to the king what, uh, what, what Obadiah was really like? Well, such a question is not quite answered in the passage. We're told that uh, in the New Testament that there were saints in Caesar's household. Uh, let me say this this evening. You may be working in a situation where you're the only Christian. You may have to endure unsavory conversations. You may have to at times witness unseemly behavior. You have no real fellowship at a spiritual level with those who are around you as your fellow workers. But remember, Obadiah was a man who in a difficult situation served the Lord And he was there because God wanted him to be there. And God very often has us placed strategically where we are in order that we might be his disciples in that situation. And God has witnesses everywhere. So there was Obadiah's strategic position. But then there was Obadiah's incredible plan. I just want to to mention this briefly. While Jezebel was killing off the prophets, that's the Lord's prophets. Obadiah was protecting him. What was he doing? Well, he were told that he took a hundred of them, he divided them into two groups of 50, and he put them into caves. And he was supplying them day and daily with food and water. As a believer doing that, his life could have been hanging in the balances every day. If someone in the palace had some suspicions as to what would go on, and it would hardly have been possible to feed 100 people day and daily without at least having to make some certain, certain arrangements because it's not an easy job to feed all those people. If I had to feed most of you and a few maybe less of you who are here this evening, it would be a big job to do without anybody else knowing I was doing it. But yet Obadiah recognized the difficult position he was in but that didn't stop doing what God wanted him to do. And he was there because God Wanted him there. And he was doing what he did because God was central in his life. And he was going to act wisely in the circumstances in which he faced. And as a believer, he did act with human integrity and compassion and concern. He recognized that he needed to follow the prompting of the Lord in his life so we see that he had an incredible plan but also i want you to look at his predictable predicament one day he was out and as he was traveling about well he was out for a particular reason he was out because the king realized that things were getting tight as far as uh, the drought was concerned and the king was concerned for his horses And so he said to Obadiah, you go in one direction and I'll go in the other and let's try and find something that will help our horses so that we not have to slaughter them. And as Obadiah went out, we discovered, what did he do? He met Elijah. And the two recognized one another. And Elijah said, "Look, what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to tell uh, the king that you've met me. And Obadiah reacted at that particular with that particular request in horror because he realized in his own mind that if he went into the king and said that he had met uh, Elijah that, well, if he didn't bring Elijah in, the king would have him in for it because the king had sent out emissaries here, there, and yonder scarring the countryside in order to try and find Elijah and therefore, as far as what was concerned, it was more than his life's work to go and worth to go and say that to the king. But we see that after the assurance that he got from uh, from Elijah that Elijah would present himself to to the king that particular day Obadiah was prepared to go and relay the message and having done that we discover that the king said that he would go out and he would meet uh, uh, Elijah immediately now What questions do we need to ask in respect of this story this evening what can we learn from Obadiah because if as the New Testament in Timothy 2nd Timothy 3 and 16 puts it that all scripture is inspired and it's profitable we must ask ourselves what profit is there in this particular passage for us to learn from this evening, because the story of Obadiah's involvement in Abs' palace is at the very heart of the New Testament principle of the Christian being salt and light in our community. Chris Wright wrote a book uh, on one occasion. I see his picture was in uh, that little booklet that uh, the missionary con- Bangor Missionary Convention uh, uh, produced. But in his little book, The Mission of God's People, I often quote this quote, he said that if meat is rotten, you don't blame the meat. If a room is in darkness, you don't blame the room. If society is corrupt, you can't blame society. If society is corrupt, you must ask the question, where is the Christian and where is the message? So, as we look together just at a few things in conclusion that we could bring out from this particular passage, the first thing I want to say is, as Christians, we should publicly and personally cultivate an honesty and an integrity as we live in the world and as we interact with the non-Christian constituency around us. And if we do so, then we can make A difference. Because so often as Christians, we face endless ethical dilemmas and difficulties of conscience. And like Obadiah, we are constantly engaged in both an external and an internal battle, a struggle between good and evil, between God and the devil. And through God's grace, we can function effectively as Christians, even within secular society. And isn't that one of the things that we have been hearing and probably understanding in a a greater way uh, since the death of the queen? That here was a lady who didn't go about shouting about her faith from the rooftops, but now it's becoming apparent on nearly every news bulletin that her bedrock, her, her greatness, was a consequence of her relationship and her dependence upon God. And as a result, she was able to publicly and personally in a quiet and in an unassuming way put across what she believed, why she believed it and the impact that it made in her life and no doubt because of who she was the influence that she could be on other people. The next thing I want us to notice is that God can only use us as Christians effectively if we're truly devoted to him now, I'm going to say something that's not terribly popular today, but unfortunately it's so true. And As I go around preaching in, in different ch- churches, I find this to be the case. And it's this, that the greatest challenge in many respects facing the church today, and when I say today, I mean literally today, is that there's a dearth of willingness people to be involved in leadership and that dearth is primarily at this present time a consequence of the fact that we have come through this pandemic Now, one of the great things that we were able to do during the pandemic was we were able to continue to have online services and we could Join, as it were, individually, but I suppose collectively, in our own homes as we watched our television screens and as we got the Word of God presented to us. And that was great. And it was brilliant that people were prepared to spend their time and their energy uh, being able to do this for us. But let's face it, as far as biblical Christianity was concerned, that is only second best that armchair worshippers are not really New Testament worshippers yes there will be people today and they will probably be able to listen to the service because they can't come to church no problem whatsoever thank God for the technology that will assist them and being able to do that but there are also a number of people and maybe those of us who have started to drift back after for some time not being as involved in the church as we once were And because of the pandemic, we have sort of stood back and we haven't been involved in the service that once we were involved in. The Bible tells us that it's important for us to get together for fellowship and prayer and mutual encouragement and corporate worship and service. Obadiah served the Lord, we're told, from his youth that's what the early christians were encouraged to do and in serving the lord we should have a definite agenda of seeking to reach the world as i look around this evening and one of the things that heartens me when i come to the comfort and and union road is the number of younger people that come along to church if you're one of those folks this evening What do we read about Obadiah? We read that Obadiah served the Lord from his youth. Those of you who fall into that category, have you ever asked yourself the question, what does God want me to do? What could God be preparing me to do having given me that desire to come and worship with his people, when maybe schoolmates are, are not going to church and never have gone to church, and it's unlikely that for many of them they will come to church, but you come, and you sit under God's Word. Could it be that God is preparing you for something in the future? And like Obadiah, God wants you to serve the Lord from your youth. And then the third thing, God uses Christians in a special way who reflect wisdom in their relationships with non-Christians. These are two final things that I would say very briefly. You know, there are some Christians, and dare I be very blunt, they're a pain in the neck, and they are completely over the top as they seek to promote the gospel. And they do it in such an aggressive way that non-Christians are turned off. But that's obviously not the way Obadiah operated. He was able to work within the context of that pagan culture and that society and in that palace And he was able to do so in such a way that he didn't turn people off. And he sought to be faithful to God and use the gifts and abilities and wisdom that God had given to him. We need to be wise in these days as to how we deal with non-Christians, how we try to communicate the gospel to non-Christians, that we don't do so in such a way that we sort of grab them by the throat and ram it down their throats and they become turned off. And there are many people, and they are turned off because of an inappropriate way that sometimes Christians unwisely seek to evangelize. God uses Christians in a special way who reflect wisdom in their relationship with non-Christians. And also, surely, fourthly, to be God's person in a secular society often leads us into predicaments, But God delights in using problems to deliver us from those problems. I had a friend in the ministry, and he used to phone me up, and he would say, you know, Ian, I have a problem. And I would say, I know you have a problem. You always have a problem. And when I give you a solution to your problem, you will find a problem in the solution. And you know, there are times that Yes, we can put, get ourselves in the predicament and we can be put in, in, in difficult situations. But God can use those difficult situations and he can open our minds in order to help us get out of them. For example, the famine in Egypt, that was a predicament. But the predicament was solved by God placing Joseph in the right place at the right time. There was complete departure from God's ways, as we're reading about now, as far as Elijah was concerned. That was a predicament for Elijah. How on earth was I going? am I going to sort this whole problem out? God is laying this responsibility heavily upon my shoulders, and what am I going to do? Well, all he needed to do was to wait on God. As we said this morning, God was throwing him into a situation where he had to go to, to Ahab, and after he threw him into that situation where there was stress, he then took him away from it and he rested him at the, at, the, at, the, at the brook. Now he's about to throw him back onto Mount Carmel. And then after Mount Carmel, we see that he takes him away again and he lets him go into the desert and he rests. Very often God can provide answers and opportunities to solve predicaments if we just rely upon him and wait on his time. Obadiah was a man who feared the Lord. And Obadiah was a man who wanted to be used by God. He placed himself in a position where he was used. He was a great servant of the Lord. And even in the midst of the predicaments that he faced, when he exercised the wisdom and the common sense that God had given to him. He was able to triumph, and he was able to be that quiet individual working in the background, but was significant in helping the prophets and in helping the whole cause in which Elijah had been called to, to move into. So as we gather this morning, or this evening, I should say, let's remember Obadiah, not somebody who's... At the top of the list of popularity as far as Bible characters is concerned, but someone who worked quietly behind the scenes, who was prepared to start when he was young, and he was prepared to make himself available to God. Are we available to God? Are we usable by God in the fellowship, in our place of employment, in our home, wherever we are? Are we used in his service? Let us pray.